0: Are we not the best of some friends already? Only in media. Hi, this is Mark Zimmerman. Uh, welcome to Stargazing. Uh, I'm sitting in for West today and we're going to talk forward. What's going on with the Dallas Star forwards and in particular, what we can do over the next couple of weeks to turn this into a Stanley Cup winner. I'm joined today by David Castillo, and uh, we're going to continue on the conversation from a week ago. So, David, how you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing good. I'm ready to... I'm ready for the hot takes. I'm ready for the Skip Bayless moments and stuff like that. And uh, and I know you can't really bring up your charts for this conversation, but hey, if you have like some war stats, I'm ready to just board the audience here. So bring it. Bring it. <laughs> we're we're going to do
0: audio war stats. That,
1: that should be <laughs> thrilling.
0: <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'd kind of like to start with a baseline, and uh, you know, Jim Nill has, has said a couple times that he likes where this team's at, and uh, that. Leads me to believe that maybe the core of what we have, and uh, there aren't going to be a whole lot of changes coming in. So, what do you think about that, David?
1: <laughs> I, I think first thing I think it's funny that the sort I like where we're at has become Jim Nill's mission accomplished moment. And and to be fair, like listen, anybody who makes that joke, I, I it never gets old to me. So please don't stop. Um, but I think he's had valid reasons to expect more than what he's received um, because I do think that a lot of Again, this is just my personal opinion, but I do think a lot of why Dallas is underachieved has been, I think, coaching has been a particular issue, right? I mean, we all talk about like, oh, well, the system and so forth, but the system hasn't been changed even though you've had different coaches playing a kind of low event style, whether whether it's bonus, Montgomery, or Hitchcock. Um, so I, I think he's got some good reasons to like where he's at. He, you have Robertson and Hintz who have essentially supplanted Ben and Sagan as the number one and number two center slash wing combination. So I, I don't – as silly as it is and, it, and as much as he deserves criticism, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know where, where to go from there other than just uh, – uh, I do kind of see where, why he'd like where we're at even if the results haven't been there.
0: Well, and, and to be truthful, I mean, it. it we, we tend to, how should we say, uh, not give credit where credit's due, and there were injuries this last year. We were running on a very short break from the Stanley Cup finals to the beginning of the season, and so this is a team that has contended, and they've done it with a particular style, and uh, and. and there's a lot to that argument that says this team is built for the playoffs, and uh, as long as they can make it through the regular uh, season, they're going to be contenders.
1: So I'm curious, though. Do you think that that this is? Do you think Dallas is the team that missed, or the team that made the finals more than the team that missed the playoffs?
0: I think there are certain aspects to it that are highly competitive. I think this last season pointed out some weaknesses in the structure particularly with the FCC line, that, uh, that we need to address. And, and I think we're in a position to, to address. But there are some things related to our checking line that in the Stanley Cup run, they were able to take a lot of air out of the top lines of the teams they were playing against. And this season, we tended to get exploited. And, and I think mainly by speed but the FCC line was not the shutdown line that we expected them to be this last year.
1: I I agree. And it's, it's one of those things where I think, you know, you, a lot can happen with a T with a line that just doesn't produce offense at all, no matter how good defensively it is when so much ice time is shifted to them. And we can talk all day about like systems and so forth, but it's, I mean, I think that one of the most like I remember the game against Florida, um, in a, obviously <laughs> I, I hate that expression must win game. Every game is a must win, right? But like the game against Florida late in the season, where Dallas absolutely needed this needed to win. Um, the forward that led that game, and I, it was like one of their what like last five games or whatever. Uh, the forward that led the uh, led that team led the team in ice time that game was Andrew Cogliano. And, and just the way a lot of these forwards are leveraged, I just it's, – it's one of the reasons why I was just disappointed they brought back Blake Como because – not because I think Blake Como is a bad player, but because – this is not a guy who, in Bonus's universe, is you know just this fourth line grinder who's gonna give you tough minutes. No, this is a guy that Bonus trusted, particularly in tied situations. Like if you look at the ice time and how the forwards were leveraged in tied situations, Como was a guy Bonus loved. Um, so, I, I it's hard to make heads or tails of just kind of how the what they're going to do with the Fords. Like this whole Bennett-Center thing, I'm not sure. I, we'll get to that later, but um, but I agree with you. I, I do think there are a lot of system issues that kind of contribute to a lot of their shortcomings. And I think it's, it contributes to their strengths, but when Bonus doesn't recognize the limits of those strengths, I think that's when the team seems to kind of really struggle. Right, and
0: what ended up happening was that there was one line that Dallas threw out there fairly heavily that supplied absolutely no offense and it turns out that they couldn't really shut down the top line from the other team either and that created something that the team never recovered from and you know you throw in missing Radulov for a lot of the season missing Sagan for almost the entire season Uh, some goaltending that was okay but wasn't living up to what we'd all become accustomed to, which was just absolutely shut down, uh, goaltending. And that, it goes a long way to explaining why the team didn't make the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, like, that's exactly the kind of thing that people worried about the season before, which is man, like our goaltender was like, not just elite, but historic. I think, uh, you know, the season before, right. Bishop was, it was like top 10, in like a regular season save percentage, and and sure enough, that ran its course. It you know regressed to the mean, as the nerds like like to say. And and this season, there are certain things happening that I think Dallas should bounce back. Like they've had <laughs> the last three seasons just a horrific shooting percentage, and you have to expect that that's going to bounce back at some point. But I do sometimes worry that maybe there's something to that right it's not just uh man Dallas is getting unlucky I think that's definitely a part of it but um I I do think their lack of passing is just a huge glaring issue um where you look at like just passing data in general and you just see a team that still dumps the puck in there's just so little movement and that's also why they were bad at on overtime, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know yeah. why like people just didn't talk like, oh, well, I mean it's overtime. Things happen. <laughs> no, like there, there's a very clear formula for how goals happen in overtime: movement and passes. Dallas does neither of those things, so of course they suck it overtime. Yep, and
0: and I mean to tell you the truth, I, I think the last couple of years have been so bad with passing because. First of all, we missed Jason Spezza, who supplied it for, for quite some time. <laughs> we, we brought in Matt Zuccarello, who, who showed what, what can happen when you have somebody who distributes the puck with this core group. And then we never really replaced that. And, and so you end up with a team that maybe individual pieces of it can be shooters, but it, it's tough to be a shooter when you don't get the puck on your stick in the right spot. And and maybe Jason Robertson was this glimmer of hope with the with the young kids who are coming up, where you find hey here's a guy who can distribute the puck, and not only can he distribute the puck, but he can finish as well, and and that's why he's such a bright shining light there
1: for for Dallas Stars fan, who of course would not have probably made the roster if Sagan and Radulov were healthy. Is that? Am I correct, or is that my I,
0: <laughs> I well, I mean, it's you know how how you get ice time in the NHL is such a mystery to me. Or 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 maybe it's just a, a, an odd happenstance. I mean, take a look at somebody like Joel Kivaranta, who probably is you know the, the likelihood of him being on the ice is maybe even uh, even worse than with Jason Robertson and Kivaranta's in the conversation all the time and nobody ever says that, that uh, Kivaranda's borderline, uh, he's a fourth liner. Uh, I don't know why he's with the NHL team. And and a lot of this is based on some extraordinary performance that took place in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And and then there were always questions in the back of my mind, at least, that says, well, uh, was that kind of a one-shot wonder or a, a just this magical thing that happened during that run and and okay now what does he bring to
1: the team? Yeah, I, I think I, Kim Rons is interesting because I, I think he's somewhere between like Chason and Riley Smith. <laughs> it's yeah it's it's kind of he he's in a strange hyperspace. But okay, so so given the discussion about Robertson and um do you think then that do you think there's somebody in Cedar Park that's gonna have obviously not be a Robertson, but have the Robertson-esque moment where, hey, you know, maybe we don't have to just go towards UFAs and spend money, which it sounds like Jim Neal can't do. Like, he, he really sounds gloomy in some of these recent pieces about, like, the cap and piece of pie and so forth. So, like, do you think, like, Riley Damiani, Maverick Bork, any of them are going to make, make the uh, make the cut?
0: I mean, I'd really like to see Damiani and, and hopefully Master get a real shot at it. And the only concern I have with that is that those two have a history that go back to their, to their, their OHL days. And so how much of what they did was based on their familiarity with each other's games and the chemistry that they built together. Um, but certainly they showed that they have the talent. They're both, they, they both can score. They have slightly different games, but they're, you know, they're snipers. They pass. Um, if you pair them with a, uh, w- with a solid net front guy, I think they can be the core of a, of a really solid fourth line. And I, I haven't written this yet, but I, my, my hope is that we can see uh, those two on the wings with Radek Fox a, a decent amount uh, at the beginning of the season to see if that
1: can turn into something that works. <laughs> That's you are dreaming, Mark, but I, I love the uh I love the enthusiasm. By the way, the it's I don't, have you have you looked at the pat the like the recent AHL um rookies of the year, like the the past sorry, the past um Calder winners in the AHL.
0: Um I, I actually haven't seen where they where they've gone
1: to. I I'm certainly uh you know, Damiani came from nowhere to get that thing. So I was, I was surprised. So these are the last 10 winners. Um, mm-hmm. I, I honestly thought it was just going to be like a trash list. I was like, ah, you got, I remember Curtis McKenzie winning, and I'm like, that's my first thought. Like, ah, who cares? Uh, but yeah. I was surprised. So last year, so these are the last 10. Josh Norris, excellent player. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex Bear-Boulet, sure I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that wrong, but yeah. currently plays for Tampa. Looks great. Mason Appleton has looked really solid in Winnipeg. Uh, Danny O'Regan. Not sure who that is. <laughs> Frank Vetrano, Miko Rantanen, that w- they were tied that year. Mm-hmm. Matt Murray, of course, Curtis McKenzie, Tyler Toffoli, Corey Conisher, Luke Adam, and Tyler Innes. Um, that's not bad company. Yeah, those are, there are some solid NHLers in there. Uh, but it's still hard for me to believe that Dallas can actually make room. I mean, if, especially if they sign somebody um, – I just I, – I don't know, especially with Dom, it's Damiani's game, who I think is the most able to kind of – to make an impact next season. You know, who kind of does a little bit – like he's, he's a very functional playmaker, uh, good hands and tight. Um, not like super fast, but, you know, he's, he's agile, um, reads the ice well. Uh, I think I, – I just – I don't know that he would – kind of like the way Robertson started, where he started in the bottom six – couldn't really do anything. I don't know if Damiani kind of starts there as well. And if he is able to kind of get that bounce back injuries or not, given the way he plays where it's just a little bit more five tools rather than somebody that's just outright dangerous like Robertson.
0: Right. And, and you'd never know there there's the addition of speed at the NHL level turns strengths into uh no, not necessarily weaknesses, but you, you have to get to that next level to prove that you can handle what's coming at you and what works at the AHL level may work at the NHL level, but it may not. And and the players who really make that leap are the ones who either have the extraordinary talent where it just works, works in both, or they're the ones who can make that my, those minute adjustments so that the skills that they developed and had at the AHL level translate to the NHL. And and it's hard to tell without uh, w- without some sort of real in depth scouting as to what the potential is there for that happening.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I, I'm I'm less less certain about Mascarin. I, I do feel like Mascarin, who's obviously much old. I mean, like in prospect years, he's basically an old man with back pain. Like I mean, he's he's had several seasons um, to really kind of prove himself. So I even though he's a good shooter, like he well he's a fantastic shooter, but I I don't know that Mascarin is the guy that could potentially make the cut, even though I love the idea of Mascarin with Damiani on Fax's uh wings, but um I don't see as much from, from his overall game as Damiani. He's he's not
0: the he's not the highlight reel, although uh you know the Texas stars put out a little highlight reel of his a uh, couple days ago on Twitter. And he, he scores some pretty, some pretty great goals, but yeah, you're right. He's, he's not the highlight reel that, uh, that Damiani can be. Um, so let, let, let's kind of flip this around. Um, cause we're, we're, we're starting with the, uh, we're, we're starting with the, with the fourth line and prospects. Let's, uh, let's start at the top. What do you think, uh, what do you think the
1: top six here for the stars looks like? uh yeah like nobody wants to talk about the texas stars i I, (laughs) nobody wants to hear about it at least i I, they want to hear about blake coleman um well i don't know if so are we talking about the top six are we talking about like a the ufa that everybody wants well let's let's talk about the top six and
0: and then let's do it with with and without a ufa
1: Uh, honestly i i would say that i honestly think like I don't know why they split them up, but Robertson – well, I mean injuries I guess, but Robertson hints Pavelski is to me your top line. They were fantastic um, in so many different ways and could do so much that I just don't know why you screw that. And me personally, I would like to see them uh, – see Ben, Sagan, and Radulov as your second line. Um, like historically speaking, they've been one of the more impactful lines – just in terms of expected goal differential um, over the, like they're right there with the uh, Tatar Deneau uh, Gallagher line in terms of like just goal differential. So they're, they're great. And I know like everyone was talking about Bennett center and he looked good at center this season, but they've tried it before and it, it had a very short shelf life. And I mean, that's not to say that it can't work. I'm just, my personal opinion is just like, well, (laughs) <laughs> we're going to pay like 9 million to the second line center and 9 million to the third line center and 3 million to the fourth line center. I, I don't like the prospect. I mean, if it makes the team better. I'm not going to complain, but <laughs> I'm really not sure what exactly that's, that's supposed to mean long-term. And so I would like to see as the top six, if not, and they do uh, have the hint Sagan bend down the middle, then people are going to look at Coleman um, as a fill in. Either, you know, with Sagan and Radulov or with maybe like Ben and Dickinson or Coleman, one of those, Uh, because he projects as a middle six winger. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm not that big on Blake Coleman, not because he's not a fantastic player, but it's just like you're going to dedicate four to five million to basically a middle six winger when – you know in a couple of seasons Radulov's going to be gone Pavelski's going to be gone you're going to be losing all this top six talent and then you're going to have to pay for the top six talent that used to be cheap um it between like Hinskaryanov Robertson and so forth and so i just don't know how that works cap wise not just cap wise but as someone that really fills out that top 6 which blame Coleman can play um and certainly he's made a believer out of everybody in the playoffs but i'm i'm just i'm not as convinced given what dallas needs long term
0: well and I, I tend to be with you uh, i think well, i i would like to see three solid potentially decent offensive lines and so i like i like ben sagan and Rajlock together i hope that we don't end up with that um because i think that if you put sagan and Rajlov together you can have a, a left wing there that that can be a contributor to the to the duo without having to take Ben's complete talents and putting them on that wing. And and I think if you put Ben as the center of the third line, uh, I, I think you end up with, with with a much better team from top to bottom. Okay, and so. You know, if, if, if I don't have Coleman on the wing, I'd take somebody like Kivaranta, who, who is really kind of the junk man. I don't know how he does it, but he finds open ice. Um, he, he scores dirty goals in front of the net. And that's really the kind of player that will do well with Sagan and Radulov. And, and so I think you can fill that spot with somebody who doesn't cost you an arm and a leg, but still gives you a, a good performance and isn't going to step on the two stars that are there
1: with him. That, that's a fair point. I guess Kivaranta, I guess my thing with Kivaranta is that he's still, like, let's say they don't sign anybody, and they just run it back, and you're talking about uh, Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski, Kivaranta, Sagan, Radulov, and maybe, like, Dickinson, Ben, Guryanov. Um, I, to me, like, Dickinson is... I, I still don't see as, like, he's not a natural wing. And Kivaranta, I, st- it's still hard to make heads or tails of because I agree, like, he's, he, especially when he has one of the things that you just don't see ever with all the top six playing, forwards playing top, The I'm sorry, the bottom six forwards playing top six minutes in bonuses system, which is actual puck control and puck protection. Like, Dallas doesn't have a whole lot of that. I, I think uh, Kivaranta brings an element of that, that their forward core. Four group doesn't really have. So I, I agree, but it's hard to say though. It's, it's hard to say with any certainty that he is a guy that's going to pitch in like 30 points on the regular 40 points, possibly in like a top six role or 20 points. Um, that's, that's still, you know, the last thing I want is for Dallas to just have like a William Carrier in their top six or, you know, whatever, like just random, you know, I just, still kind of hard for me to like buy that still hard for me to like sell the idea of Kivaranta as a complementary forward for elite talents like Radulov um, or like a Ben.
0: Right. And that's obviously the slot where if you uh, if you're looking to fill in with some UF UFA talent, that that's what you target. And, and, And I think you're correct. What you look at with Coleman is what what's the cost now? What's the term? And and does that fit? And I, I think you probably pointed out a couple people in your piece today that that could fill the role for maybe a more moderate, uh, you know, two and a half to three million, and maybe on a on a two year deal.
1: Uh, was there anyone in particular that uh, that caught your eye besides Mattel Joseph? who should, I mean, technically not a UFA, but Dallas should absolutely get. But anyways, uh, somebody in particular, like, that caught your eye? Uh, well, I don't have it sitting in front of me, so uh, it's, uh,
0: uh, not off the top of my head.
1: No worries. I, uh, which fault, I mean, I, like, some of these names I didn't really, like, even care for. Like, Zach Aston Reese, very good PK specialist, the kind of p- player that Bonus would love. I personally would not like to see like playing you know middle six minutes but he certainly would in bonuses system um brock mcginn i think mike hoffman is a player that of course there's you know with the news that tarasenko is on the trading block um obviously that dallas doesn't have the cap to make something like that work but um have stars fans just given up on guys like mike hoffman Is D- just not interested in, in him
0: um not that i'm aware of um it's it's nobody's really paid a whole lot of attention to you know, these mid-level or low to mid-level forwards who you could bring in. And, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm certainly not up on it is, is it's not something that's been on the horizon. And it's only in sitting down and taking a look at what the team makeup is right now that I'm saying, hey, this is, uh, this is the hole
1: that needs to be patched if we're going to take some money in, in and throw it at a problem. So, so you want to talk about Matthias Yanmark? You, you're on oh, the Yanmark train. <laughs> I
0: well, I'm on the I'm on the Yanmark
1: train, but I'm on the Yanmark train and, and perhaps the Natuician
0: train uh, uh, for a particular reason, and that is that there are talented players out there that have played with the stars that can contribute to other teams uh, in, in ways that are somewhat surprising and and. The underlying question is why doesn't that happen in Dallas? You know, why why does Yan Mark have to go sign a one year deal with Chicago in, in order to get his value to the point where he thinks he's being appreciated? You know, Nuttushkin's even a worse story with uh, with going to Colorado because we had to pay we had to pay them to take him in essence. So uh, so so there is something systemic that's hanging out there that is putting a funk on our forwards and uh And you know we may get into systems when we talk about that, but we're we're taking people who can produce and be recognized for producing and and not putting them in a
1: position where they they can succeed where they're at now. man i was I was in a great mood until you started talking about nichushkin and and now I just i didn't know what to say you know it's it sucks too because and this is the kind of thing that i think um i't I, like I think you've talked about it before, but um, I, I think part of the issue is one of the things that I think has kind of hindered Jim Neal in his player analysis, which is thinking in archetypes, right? And and I think maybe we had some of this discussion on Twitter, but, uh, you know, when Nachushkin couldn't score, this team couldn't possibly figure out, well, he can't score, so what can he contribute? Um, and the irony is that Montgomery actually played Nachushkin on the PK in like the last several weeks of his last season with Dallas, so they started to kind of find a groove for him, and and I think that's you know one of those things that you know that's maybe has more to do with like player development, and you know we could talk all day about player development and kind of what that means, but um, it, it is it's not like Natchushkin. Yes, Natchushkin went into a system that was more offensive, but he didn't play with a bunch of offensive players like his. You know, bounce-back year, he played most of his time with, like, Bellamere, Like, right. just a bottom-six center. So we're not talking about a guy that was, like, <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, Roman f- riding free on the range with, you know, Nathan McKinnon and crap like that. No, he was he was stuck in the bottom six, and he was just still able to produce. And I think that's because in other systems like Colorado or Vegas or even Chicago, they don't – I think they have an understanding – not that Dallas doesn't have its own strength, not that Dallas, you know, doesn't have uh, an understanding of hockey. You know, th- th- these are these are bright people that run the team. But no one that like Natchushkin could still produce despite his profile in the same way. That this is the same team that thought Polak was good defensively because he sucked offensively or that. As much as I hate to bring up he who shall not be named Dallas player, Honka could never be efficient if he wasn't scoring, even though, like, analytically, there were things that he was was doing well. So I I think that's on Dallas, especially if we talk about the kind of UFAs that they want to bring in. It's really on Dallas to recognize what skills do these players have that can complement other players' skills, as opposed to, oh, what top six forward can we sign? What bottom six forward can we bring in? Like, enough of that. Like... (laughs)
0: Well, and, and one, one example that I always go to is is Alex Chason, who in in pretty much every system that he has been in has been kind of a, a fourth-line grinder. But what what's happened with him in Edmonton is that he's a fourth-line grinder who comes out and plays with the top power play. And the reason he does that is because he has one skill. He has the ability to to open up his stick in the crease and, and hold it there and keep it firm and accept a pass from McDavid that goes in the net. And, and he does that very, very well. And that makes him a very, very valuable player in that one specific instance. And a, a, good, a, a good evaluator, a talent will find out, this is something that I need. I need a net front, front presence guy and if i can get that for you know a million dollars and that's all he does that's a humongous great investment and that's the type of thinking that you need in order to patch the actual holes that you have as opposed to if you go to your your analogy the archetype holes that you might have in your lineup and and it's one of the reasons why i i worry about thinking like uh, you know, you have a nine nine point five million dollar third line center. Well, yeah, you know, you do. But the problem is that that nine point five million dollars is a sunk cost. As soon as you sign that contract, what you have is a player. And once you have a player, you need to find out how that player can contribute to make you the best team that you can be. Everything else is just a check at
1: the end of the day. Yeah, that's that's a great point, point. and that was part of what I, I hate to return back to Blake Como. Like nobody wants to talk about Blake Como, but I'm going to talk about Blake Como. <laughs> and and I, what bothered me so much is that Cogliano, defensively, like by whether you know by every metric, Cogliano was just as good as Blake Como defensively. The difference, of course, is that Cogliano was actually good on the penalty kill this season. Yep. Blake Como is not, but who do we bring back? We bring back Blake Como. Why? Because, well, you know, hey, he's, he's a big guy. Now, granted, you know, it's possible that Cogliano wouldn't have taken the same contract, but I'm just like, I mean, if you paid Cogliano an extra five hundred thousand or even extra mill, like I, I listen, I, I don't want either one of these guys back, but I'm just like, why are you just throwing money at a player just to throw money at a player because you need a spot that needs that needs to be filled? Um, and so, yeah, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely one of Neil's flaws. I think he has plenty of other strengths, but, uh, this is definitely one of those situations where I just don't see a, I'm curious what the plan is for the roster themselves. And I always think it's so funny, like for all of the attention to detail paid to defensive pairs, when it comes to four trios, coaches are like, Oh, whatever. Let's, let's, let's put some of this uh, casserole together. We got these two guys. This third guy can come in, but whatever. Like I don't get that. I don't. It, well, uh,
0: I I tend to look at, at at forwards as as twos with a one. And and that's kind of how I build lines together. It's, you have two people who do who do things that make it work, and then you have somebody who who you add in who makes it better. Who, who fills in the gaps that those two don't, don't uh, handle on their own. And so, so you know, that, that there are different ways of viewing at it. Um, but if you know, build, build lines, how you will
1: uh, it's hard to keep three guys together, two guys, you can stick together and, and build off. Of that. That, that's true. But like, I guess my thing is like, it's one of the things you saw Montreal do, right. Which was, they had Tatar, um, they had the, the Tatar-Deneau-Gallagher line, and who, who were fantastic in the regular season. Then Tatar started to struggle. And one of the things they tried in Montreal was they tried to put Kotkaniemi next to Deneau and Gallagher, and it didn't really work. Um, Kotkinemi just plays kind of a slower, more methodic game, Deneau and Gallagher are kind of more fast-paced, uh, two-way players, and the ultimate fit they found was actually a rookie. It was, it was Jake Evans. And mm-hmm. so he was part of the line that actually shut down, quote-unquote, sh- well, sh- well, really did shut down the Matthews line in the Toronto series. So you're, you're right. Like, you know, I do agree that, you know, you really want to start with a strong kind of um, chemistry between two specific players. Um, but if there's, if there's no attention to detail for what that third element can do to complement the other two, then to me, there's just no point. I, I think that's why, like, Ben and Sagan – I remember, like, what was it? Uh, I think it was the season with Hitchcock. where It's like Ben and Sagan, to figure out who was going to play next to Ben and Sagan, where Hitchcock was just like, hey, Ben, hey, Sagan, who would you guys most like to play with? And then both of them just happened to say Tyler Pitlick. Like, they just voted for the guy that was going to play next to him. And it's like that lasted for like two games, predictably failed because maybe that's not the best way to decide what three players should be on a forward line. And, and that's just the kind of like nonsense that I think sometimes coaches get away with because, well, they can, and it's very hard for, uh, it's very hard for you to like just outright screw something up just in terms of the lines you build. But,
0: um, well, back in the day, if you threw Sagan and Ben over the boards with, with player X, you were likely to have a pretty solid line.
1: Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, but, uh, but uh, well, speaking of them, like can we can we say that that era has come to the come to an end? Like Ben and Sagan, you know, you guys gave us some really solid years, but um, it's the inevitable decline is coming. Actually, it started a long time ago. But I mean, well, it, 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 did. it did. I, I think I, I'm not quite ready to write them
0: off just because I think this is our last year where we have where we have a core of. of players in their 30s who who really have a chance still to make a good run and so there are you know i'm talking ben sagan radulov pavelski and uh oh who am i missing here i mean you can throw como in the mix there but it's really (laughs) that it's really that core four guys and and they have the talent to get there and at the end of the year Bonus, uh, his contract is up. Those uh, We have Pavelski and Rajilov with contracts up. And, uh, and this team could look way different after that. So, uh, yeah, they aren't necessarily going to be the, the top line because certainly I think that Robertson and Hints are, are the top line too. Um, but they're still, you know, that's the core of a really solid second line and potentially a part of the third line. So they're still major contributors. You're still gonna hope to to get somewhere on the order of you know 15 to 20 goals out of most of those guys, maybe even more if you're talking about somebody like Sagan and Povelski. So yeah, that's, it's not you know it's uh, it's teetering a little bit, but it's still there.
1: Uh, to be you know, it's funny, I was looking at uh, just kind of messing around with um, uh, sort of the the um, I think the war timeline right So the winds above replacement timelines. Uh, that Jack Frazier has, um, who goes by Jay Fresh on Twitter. And yep. I, what I thought was interesting is that Jamie Benz, uh, <laughs> I thought I, I could have sworn I said we would not bring up like analytics or stats, but here I am. Uh, anyways, his war numbers um, over like since 2014 have been steady. Like I know we watch Jamie Ben and we're like, oh, this guy's a shell of his former self. And yes, he's terrible with like random passes to nobody, loves to go like, short side um when he has like at a bad angle for some reason, but he keeps doing it. It's kind of like his, his like shootout move, but it even strength problem. Um, yeah. And um but so like, yeah, he has a lot of issues, but like in terms of like those particular stats wins above replacement, he's been very steady. I, I was surprised to see that like just the top 75 percentile Sagan on the other hand, man, 2019, 2020 was just a drastic dive, like the bottom 30 percentile. And even though a lot of that had to do with, you know, the impending injury and stuff like that, that he would ultimately have to get fixed. Um, I do worry that I think my biggest concern is that Sagan, not necessarily that like, well, you know, that I worried about like another injury, but just that like injuries will have caught up to him. Um, maybe the same way they've done that with like Tarasenko, Duchesne and so forth. And, I I do worry that maybe our second-line center is not the second-line center that we think he'll be. Well,
0: and and what what the other side of that coin is is that he's had almost a, a full two years off. Uh, he's you know, everything I've seen is he's he's enjoying life. He's going through a great workout uh, program. He's going to come back uh, loving hockey and ready to play. And and his body probably is going to be not hurting for the first time in in quite some time. So he's primed for a bounce back if it's there
1: for him. That's fair. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen next year, which uh, I guess means Dallas is all in. So Yeah,
0: exactly. And, you know, Rajlov's kind of in the same boat. Uh, you know, Pavelski, who knows? I, I need to get on his workout program because it's working because his, his war numbers are also, you know, yeah, he, he had the fall off a little bit uh, as he learned the new system. But if, if Pavelski at 36 last year uh, is repeatable, that's, uh, that's a great player and it's incredible.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't – I'm not, like, worried too much about those. Like, t- they were just on a ridiculous – they were both, like, Pavelski and Radulov were point-per-game players this season. Um, that's obviously I don't think going to happen, but, um, but we know what they bring, and, and I don't know. Dallas is going to be a really good team next year. Like, I, as much as I criticize, I think they're going to be a really good team. My worry is just, like, they don't get the most out of that team.
0: And 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 you know, who did you get a second year slump out of Robertson? I don't know. I mean, the one thing that people are forgetting with with all this Robertson hints and Pavelski love is that first 10 games when we had Pavelski and Rajlov together, the 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 metrics on that was through the roof. And you couldn't even name who was playing with them. It, it was actually Kivaranta for a, a good portion of it. <laughs> But uh, but I, I think they scored 17 goals and gave up one. I mean, it, it just the numbers are insane. And, and we never really had a chance to get back to it. And, and we were kind of tossing it away with our newfound love of, uh, of our new first line. But that's a fabulous
1: combination. But that's that's a great point. By the way, can I just like point out that I remember uh, when I really first started digging into analytics um, was also the first year that uh, – which call it – like before Roussel with Faxa and Hemsky, the mm-hmm. underlying analytics for Roussel with Yanmark and Hemsky were even better. And I remember thinking like, damn, man, I wish we could bring that thing back. Um, so so you're right. Like we, we kind of never know and uh, we always – we tend to fall in love with just the whole recency bias, right? Robinson fence, that's, that's going to be fire. But if they can like figure out a line that's even better or just a better configuration of uh, like the top six, I I'm all for it. I, I just worry that this whole, uh, t- you know, three centers, hint, Sagan, Ben, I just worry that this is just kind of a way of trying to figure out a another strong check in line instead of actually spread the offense out.
0: Well, and, and to kind of go off <laughs> of that, uh, I do like Ben as the third line center, and one, one thing I'll point out that we really haven't gotten into, uh, we brought Como back, but even with Como back, we aren't a very big team. We aren't a very physical team anymore, and, and that's kind of been missed in the whole, in, in the whole changeover. I mean, who who really is out there that uh, will will deliver a hit? And you know, yeah, you know, you might say that that's old school hockey and, and all this other thing, but you know, we we need a, a at least a guy or two who will who will stand up for all the tiny little guys that were thrown out there. So you want to bring back Shane Shirley? Uh, no, no, <laughs> but I I've, what what I am kind of. I, I'm going to I'm going to pull these two things together here because we were talking about uh, about pairings that work well together. If you look at uh, if you look at the numbers for Como and Ben together, they're actually pretty good. And if you turn a third line into Como, Ben and Guryanov, that's a
1: potential offensive line that can still play some defense. I, I listen. I, w- I would be against that. My only worry is that uh, Guryanov at left wing is just—it's not his natural side. And the the last thing I want to see is another young, promising player accommodate an older, lesser player. You know, like high on his right side, Guryanov on Col- his left. combo can play left side. Oh, okay, I, I I didn't even know that. I'm yeah. not yeah. familiar so, with uh, at all. Apparently,
0: yeah, I, you're so used to seeing him with uh, with Cogs that uh, that he 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 plays both sides. So yeah, I would keep Gurionov on the on his natural right.
1: I'm down for it. You convinced me.
0: So that's just and actually, I, I think the the group works. You know, Como will get in there and and, and raise him. He'll he'll fall over. But for once, he's not going to have uh, – he, he's going to pass the puck to some guys who can actually do something with it, which was always the problem with FCC. You know, they, they just keep it on the wall because they knew if they passed it, it was
1: going to turn into a turnover anyway or, or a
0: shot into the chest. So why not just
1: keep it on the wall? True, but um, I, I do feel like Fax and Como are going to be reunited. I hope not. But uh, that, that is that is my my sinking feel again, not as like I'm not worried that that's going to like sink the team or that's like that's what's going to keep Dallas from, uh, you know, going next level next season. But uh, I just want some reassurance, Mark. That's all I want.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the reassurance is that, uh, you know, Faxa fits perfectly as a fourth line center with uh, with Mastern and, De- and Damiani. So. Make it so.
1: It sounds great. I just don't like three million to a fourth line center. But uh, although see, I guess. We had this conversation just 10 minutes ago about to ignore, ignore the man behind the mask. Oh, man, that money's but... already spent. <laughs> I, I know. But it's just, I just, God dang it. Like I, Dickinson over Faxa, that's, that's what I would like to see. I honestly think Dallas could just probably get something decent for Faxa as well
0: yeah no and and you know if if Seattle takes somebody like Mascarin uh, and, and we have Dickinson and faxa both sitting around uh, they they are pretty duplicative and if we could make a deal for faXA that uh, that would be uh, kind of ideal in my boat I agree so beyond that what do you what do you have for uh, for the fourth line I've, I've kind of laid my cards out there. What do you see?
1: my, I, I think that the fourth line is, is going to be Dickinson, Como, and Kivaranta. No,
0: uh, no, no prospects, huh?
1: I, I just, da- it's, it wouldn't be Dallas's style. It wouldn't be Nils' style. It wouldn't be, certainly not bonus' style, um, which is not that, like, I'm not trying to, like, you know, just sell the narrative, oh, you know, Dallas hates prospects, and, you know, the whole like ripe thing. I I think, you know, Jim Neal has even kind of talked about like, Hey, you know, like maybe my philosophy was a little wrong. Um, So I I just, I just think that they're going to, they're going to have enough there to, to really, they're just, they're not going to want to like, just really not sure what I'm saying here, but I just do. I think they're going to play it safe. And to be fair, you know, they have a legit reason to play it safe. You know, this, they're going to see this roster as the same roster that got them to the finals. Um, So why inject youth that may not work out?
0: Yep. No, you're, you're, you're very likely right. And uh, I I just hate having a line that, that ends up being here, here's some puzzle pieces that we have. And so let's just put them here. I, I like seeing lines that have purposes. And I think other teams that are successful have a fourth line that has a reason for existence and that's <laughs> put together intentionally, not randomly.
1: Oh man. We, we, we love our fourth line goulash in Dallas. I mean, look how long Justin Dowling <laughs> has had an NHL career.
0: <laughs> true. True.
1: Uh, I, I, and,
0: and, you know, I, I'm hoping we can see a little bit more from uh, Nick Camano for, for the upcoming season too. Any, any thoughts on, uh, on our, uh, on our prospects that we saw, uh, on the taxi squad, uh, Ty DeLandria, where,
1: where do you see him? That's interesting, man. Ty DeLandria was so, so I, I do like Ty DeLandria and, um, I think I'd even written about him like for like the draft and stuff like that. Um, because I do think he is, he plays, I would consider him like kind of more of like a two-way threat, at least on paper. Uh, not simply just your broad two-way player. Because um, I do think he has playmaking, sort of some playmaking instincts and and can't shoot the puck and so forth. Um, but it was just so weird. Man, like he, when he played this season, uh, which, well, when he played this season, like he, he just played like some sort of like goon where he's just like throwing the body and it's not really working because he's a smaller guy. And so... Um, I I absolutely feel like that can, you know, he can get that out of his system and he'll kind of, uh, play something more refined, but, um, he he has a little bit of a, like a mystery box right now. I'm I'm not really sure. I I don't know if he's trying to play, you know, trying too hard to play like the FCC line, trying to win a spot there or, or kind of, or kind of what, but he definitely has more than he showed. I just,
0: he's got a, he's got a, he's got a little edge to his game, which, which you have to like. Yes. Um, it it may take him a year or two for his body to get to the point where he, it can actually back up his mouth, if, if, if that makes any sense. Um. So it's it's either that or he's gonna he's gonna have some uh, he's gonna run into some issues at the NHL level, and and he probably would like that. Um. You know that's I I think that's the kind of player he is. But uh, I, I kind of hope that we give him a chance to just run amok in Cedar Park this next year, because I think if, if he gets a full year in, in the AHL, his numbers are going to be incredible. And and coming out of that, he's going to be so ready for NHL hockey.
1: I, I agree. He, he looks like a player that that at his best can really be like a solid like bottom six forward Um even though it's still hard for me to watch players like Joel Farabee do a little bit more Keandre Miller looking great in New York on defense, but I'm not not, not (laughs) going to get into the draft (laughs) now. (laughs) But yeah, man, Delandre is a good kid. He's good people. Yeah.
0: And and, I mean, to to finish, to finish off my view, I'm I'm really looking forward to the, to the Texas stars uh, season this year, just because we're finally going to get a, look at all these Europeans that we've been drafting for the last several years that have been, you know, if, if you're dedicated and want to watch some Swedish hockey leagues, uh, you know, I, I, Derek, Derek certainly knows a lot more than I do about that. But uh, now we get to see him in Texas and that's going to tell us a lot about what
1: we actually have. I'm excited. I, I think Carlstrom and Peterson in particular, these I, I've always seen them as, as looking like very sort of, a lot more polish than you expect out of, especially out of the typical prospects that come through Dallas's system. Um, so I, I'm excited for them. I think Carlstrom um, in particular is the guy that I've got my eye on the most because uh, he has a little bit of playmaking um, and someone that can potentially top out as a second line center. Not that I think that's going to happen, just that the sort of skills are there to, you know, like hit it in the best in the ideal circumstances.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, you know, I'm kind of interested in seeing, uh, seeing, seeing uh, Jordan
1: Kawaguchi too. I
0: saw saw him play one of the games when he when he was with Texas before he got injured. But you know, again, we, we tend to bring in these college guys who are who are potentially a little closer to being able to, to play in NHL, and uh, and yeah, I I think Texas could be very good this year if they can figure out what they're doing with their goaltending. I agree. Okay. Any any last thoughts here? Uh, have we solved all the world's problems, or are we ready to get the expansion draft and in uh, the regular draft, and by the end of July have a pretty good idea of where this team's actually going to be, as opposed to where we hope we be?
1: No, I mean it's it's kind of it's I, I think I think you're gonna you're gonna see a very good team. You're gonna see the same team, um, but being healthier is going to make a difference as much as I, as much as I still kind of lament that narrative, because I'm just like, you know what? We were better than Nashville, even injured. They were injured too. We were better than Nashville should have made the playoffs. Nonetheless, uh, as we've seen, right. Uh, like with Montreal, like, you know, sort of making the playoffs, that thin line, you know, just says very little. I think Dallas is going to be a very good team. Uh, but I, I still think we're just kind of looking at the same thing. I just think it's going to all be about, well, what happens with Guryanov, another player we didn't talk about, um, Guryanov, Hintz, Robertson, do these young players truly take the next level and do the older players start to decline? Because I think if they don't decline and the, and the rookies, the young guys are, you know, taking it up a notch, you're going to probably see a pretty darn good, pretty successful season, not cup winners, but a successful season.
0: Yeah. And, and as, uh, as we've seen, if you make the playoffs, you, uh, you certainly have a chance to make a run, and this team's shown that they that you know they can get to Game Sevens, and and with the type of hockey they play, when you get into a Game Seven, you can win a Game Seven. So I, I I'm looking forward to this next year. Uh, I'm looking for it, maybe uh, forward to it more nostalgically because I think it's going to be the end of an era, uh, and, and then I'm really excited about where the team's going after that so uh so win-win nothing to add man <laughs> okay well I, thank you for having the conversation uh we'll we'll see if uh see if wes is gonna make his way back here in a little bit but uh uh thank you all for uh, thanks kt for putting up with us uh and we will see you all later
1: thank you mark man it's always good talking to you